Hey, thank you for being with us today and welcome to The Quest. So glad you guys are with us, especially if you happen to be checking us out. If you're checking us out, we're really glad that you're with us as well. So before we get into the talk today, we just want to open up with a word of prayer, something that we do every single week, an opportunity to connect with God, opportunity to just bring God into this environment where we can say, God, I need to hear from you. I want you to speak to me. And so let's do that together. Father, we love you so very much. And I thank you for each person that's listening. Father, we come to you from many different places. We come to you from places emotionally and physically that we are challenged and we need you and we recognize our need for you. But sometimes, Father, we're in a place of busyness and distraction and we don't recognize that we have this great need. We're not focused on you. And so today, right now, we intentionally set our attention upon you and ask that you would speak into our lives. Father, for those that need you in ways like financially or physically or spiritually or emotionally, Father, you know the need of their life. And as they ask for you to step into that chaos and that need, I ask that you would just meet the needs of our lives. And Father, we invite you to speak into our hearts. Beyond my words, I ask that your spirit would speak into each and every person. And Father, that you would speak deeply to the personal issues and needs of our life. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we are in a great series, a really good series entitled Kingdom Come. Because we live in the conflict of two kingdoms and because we experience the darkness of the world around us, the great thing is, is that we can experience this from the light that is within us. And that light is the Holy Spirit who lives inside every single believer. And so what happens is the Holy Spirit helps us not to live in fear during times of uncertainty, during times of darkness. And we don't participate in the darkness, nor do we give in to the darkness. It's important to keep this point in front of us, and you can write it down. It's this. The kingdom of God is the rule of Christ in our lives. And we need to understand that, that Jesus didn't come to set up a religion. He came to establish his rule in the lives of his people. We put ourselves under the lordship of Jesus. We allow Jesus to rule our lives, to set the order of our lives, to set the priorities of our lives. The scripture is this in 1 Peter, in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. And I hope that you have done that. See, Jesus is king and the authority in our lives. And because Jesus is king and because we have relationship with him through faith in him, it brings us into becoming citizens of his kingdom. Philippians 3.20 says it this way, that we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. It's so great. Not only do we experience his presence in our lives now, we can't wait for him to return, and we will spend eternity with him. I hope that you are eagerly waiting for his return as well. But until he comes back, we live as citizens of the kingdom in this world. And what that means is this, you can write it down. As citizens of the kingdom of God, we live out the character of the king. See, the Holy Spirit helps us and forms within us the personality of the king. The character of the kingdom gets expressed in the behaviors of the king and its citizens. Man, this is such an important issue because if there's no difference in our lives because of Jesus or there's no expression in our lives of Jesus, then we are living a religion, not a relationship. You see, when Jesus was beginning his ministry, while he was preparing people for the kingdom that was at hand, while he was beginning to establish this kingdom in their lives, 
he gives a sermon that calls people to the character of the kingdom. You may have heard of it. It's called Sermon on the Mount. People were following Jesus in great multitudes, and so he took a little journey up a mountain, found a, a plateau, and he began to teach them about what it means to belong to the kingdom of God. And as Jesus begins this sermon, he gives eight characteristics, eight attitudes that every citizen of the kingdom should have. And it's important that we get it that they're not multiple choice, like, hey, I like that one. Oh, I'm not really ready for that one. It's not a pick and choose. It's not a multiple choice. They are, in fact, attitudes of the kingdom. So what are Beatitudes? It's this. Beatitude describes the temperament of the citizens of the kingdom. The disposition and nature of a follower of Christ. The Beatitudes show a distinct difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. Uh, another explanation is this. The Beatitudes are not what we do. It's who we are. This is important because most of us want to know what do we have to do to go to heaven, to be right with God. But when we measure out who we are by what we do, well, that's called religion, and that's not what we're about. That's not what Jesus was about. Jesus came to give life. He came to give peace. He came to give forgiveness and joy and love and peace to change who we are on the inside so that it gets lived on the outside. Here's something else we need to understand about the Beatitudes. It's this. They are attitudes we have as a result of being born into the kingdom of God. These are not something that we produce ourselves. This is a result of having a brand new nature. This new nature provides new attitudes, a new personality. The Beatitudes are, in fact, attitudes that we are to be. And so here's how it reads. It reads this way as it begins. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Remember, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are the same thing. This word blessed is a, is a word that you hear quite often in Christian circles. It's more than a response to a sneeze. Another thing that we say is, hey, have a blessed day. Or people will say, you know, I am so blessed. We might even say it in a way that says, have I told you that you're such a blessing in my life? You've heard these statements. Maybe you've even said them yourself. In fact, if I'm watching sports on TV, I can pretty much tell you who has a Christian influence in their lives by the interview at the end of the game. Because they might ask the question, so tell us why you're having such a great season. And they'll say things like, I am so blessed. I'm so blessed to have great teammates in my life. They might even say, God has blessed me so much. So what does blessed mean? Some translations use the word happy instead of blessed. But it's really more than even happiness or joy. The definition is this. Bless is the mindset that comes from God's rule in my life. And so Jesus gives this first attitude that we are to be, this first attitude that is a byproduct of his rulership in our lives. And it's this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what does poor in spirit mean? Well, you can write this down. It has nothing to do with money. I know it sounds like it, but Jesus is not saying, hey, you have to be financially poor, then you can be blessed. Poverty does not guarantee spirituality. Also, poor in spirit does not mean it has nothing to do with degrading ourselves. This is not about being a doormat for others to step on or allowing others to take advantage of us or minimizing ourselves and, and our value. So what it does mean, though, to be poor in spirit is this you can write down. I recognize that I am helpless without God. I recognize that I possess nothing that benefits my spiritual condition. In and of myself, I am helpless without God. 
poor in spirit also means this. I come to God realizing that I am empty. I understand that I am spiritually bankrupt and vacant of anything good in and of myself. Poor in spirit also means this. I am inadequate to resolve my spiritual condition. In other words, without God, I am absolutely hopeless, beyond repair. And because of my condition, you can write down, I am in desperate need of God. Spiritual poverty recognizes our desperate need of God. Maybe it would help us to look at other translations and how they say it. First of all, New Living Translation says, God blesses those who realize their need for Him. God's Word Translation says, who recognize they are spiritually helpless. Contemporary English Version says, those who depend only on Him. Or the New Century Version, who know they have a great spiritual need. Here's the truth. We will never seek after or depend on something that we don't recognize that we need in our life. Jesus begins with this fundamental issue that affects every citizen of the kingdom. And that is this relationship with the king acknowledges our need of the king. See, being poor in spirit is the antithesis of our natural man. Poor in spirit is the complete opposite of our sinful condition. And I believe that's why Jesus begins with this. Another point you can write down is this. Our sin issue is a pride issue. See, the sin in our life reflects the pride in our life. We always struggle in the areas where we have not included God. Those areas that we have not surrendered to God. The areas that we believe we can manage on our own. So we have to understand how God feels about pride. And he says this in Proverbs. He says, the Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure that this, that they will not go unpunished. And 1 Peter says that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We can't allow pride to continue in our lives because it will destroy us. And the sad part is that most of us don't even believe that we have a pride issue in our lives, when really it is our human nature issue that we face. See, pride is an internal attitude that leads to external behaviors. It's how we see ourselves that then affects how we see God and others. Pride is self-dependence, self-reliance, self-confidence. A great scripture in Psalms 10 says it this way, In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. That's the scary place that none of us want to get to. When we're so confident in ourselves that we have no confidence in God. And we're so focused on ourselves that we have no focus on God. See, some expressions of pride can be things like this. We say, I know what's best for me. And we may not say it that way, but what we're saying is, don't tell me how to live. I know what's best for me. Some other expressions of these, I can handle this myself. I don't need you. Or maybe we'll say things like, you know what? I'm okay. See, if we're going to be poor in spirit, we've got to recognize that we're not okay. If we were okay, then there would be no need for Jesus to go to the cross. Another expression of pride can even be something like this. You know what? I'm better than most other people. So what we do is we start comparing ourselves to other people and we base our goodness on how better we are than others. And really at the core of that statement is, is this, we want others to know that we're a good person. The, the problem is, is scripture says it differently. Scripture says no one is good except God alone. Here's the thing, pride tries to create a sense of good from us, which leads us to another point. Humility recognizes that the only good in me is God in me. 
Everything in us wants to believe that we're okay or that we're not as bad as that we feel. We're actually not as bad as others. But the truth is, is that we bring nothing to the table that God has not already given to us. If there's anything that is good in us, it is God and God alone. And this leads us to another important point. It's this. When we don't recognize that the goodness we have in us is because of God, we set ourselves up to be God. We set ourselves up to be in control. We establish a standard for us that elevates us. We're not comparing ourselves to God's standards. We compare ourselves to ourselves. We determine how we should live. We determine what's excusable in our lives and what's not. And if we set up ourselves to be God, well, here's another point. When we don't admit that all we are is because of God, then we see ourselves as a gift to God. See, we see ourselves as people that impress God. But it's more than impressing God. We look at ourselves as the gift. It's almost as if we look at it as God needs us more than we need him. We can really see this principle in a parable that Jesus gives in Luke 18. It was a story for those who didn't think that they were prideful. I mean, they had a belief in God, but they refused to give control to God. If the truth were to be known, their trust was in themselves and, and how good they were. And it reads this way. He, Jesus, told his next story to some who were complacently pleased with themselves over their moral performance and looked down their noses at the common people. So he says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax man. So two men in the story go to pray. One is a Pharisee. He's respected. He follows 613 laws. He's an elevated religious leader. He's got the nice robe and all. And everyone likes them. They are highly esteemed in the community. And then you have the tax collector. He's disrespected and follows no laws. He's corrupt and dishonest and no one likes him. And Jesus continues the story and it says this, The Pharisee posed and prayed like this, Oh God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, crooks, adulterers, or heaven forbid, like this tax man. I fast twice a week and tithe on all of my income. See, the Pharisee's prayer was eloquent and beautiful in the ears of people, but not in the ears of God. He was saying, I follow all the religious rules. He's saying, I do all the right things and I'm good. I'm better than everyone around me and I'm com comparatively good. And then he says, thank you, God, that I am not like these other men. See, the Pharisee wasn't completely wrong. He had a lot to be proud of. But instead of realizing that what he had was a gift from God, he saw himself as a gift to God. Remember, false pride says things like, I know what's best for me. I can handle this myself. I don't need you. I'm okay. Even I'm better than most. We can fall into a pride that is not any different than that of the Pharisee, and it's this, you can write it down. When we are full of ourselves, there is no room for God. When we are focused on ourselves, we're not focused on God. When we elevate ourselves, we minimize God. Jesus shows us what spiritual poverty looks like when he says this. He says, but the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. You have to love the tax collector. He's standing at a distance. He knows he's not worthy to stand before God. Maybe even you've been there. He couldn't lift his head. His prayer had confession and acknowledgement about who God is. He didn't rationalize or try to justify anything in his life. I mean, without God's intervention, the tax collector knew he was hopeless. In fact, he brought nothing to the table. He was 
empty. And here's something that we see you can write it down. Humility is willing to do what pride is not. See, humility is not trying to protect ourselves and elevate ourselves, promote ourselves. Humility is willing to acknowledge the truth about ourselves. Jesus said it this way. He says, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus shocks us here because he's saying that the tax collector went home justified, not the Pharisee. They had to be thinking, you've got to be kidding me. But while the Pharisee was full of pride, the tax collector emptied himself before God. He emptied himself with a humble heart. He gave an accurate picture of his spiritual condition. And some of you listening right now, you should be encouraged because that's exactly where you're at. You, you acknowledge your spiritual condition. You may not be the best, and you acknowledge the fact that, you know what, I'm not in a great place. There's nothing good in me. That's exactly where you want to be. In fact, you write this point down. When we empty ourselves, we are in the perfect position to be filled by God's grace. See, when we're less full of ourselves, there is more room for God in our lives and His work in our lives. Here is the challenge of pride. There is no silver bullet. We all have a personal struggle with pride and humility. And most of the time, we don't know how to fix it. Sometimes we don't even recognize that there is a problem. I mean, maybe that kind of even describes you at this moment. I don't know. Maybe there's a part of your life that has gone off the rails. You have tried everything. You can't figure it out. You look at your life. You look at your attitude and you see that it's a mess. And you can't figure out how to fix it. And for some, we would rather continue to try to figure it out on our own than surrender ourselves to Christ and let him work in our lives. Jesus said it this way. He says, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope with less of you. There's more of God and his rule. So how is spiritual poverty developed in our lives? The first point is this. You don't make yourself more than you are. Don't develop a false impression of yourself. Don't try to justify your condition or rationalize your need. Don't elevate yourself. Our value is not in who we are, but in the one who makes us who we are. See, our right standing with God is because of God. It is not because we are good. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, this tax man, not the other, went home made right with God. If you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face. But if you're content to simply be yourself, you will become more than yourself. When we acknowledge our true condition, God is able to deal with our condition. Also, spiritual poverty is developed in our lives. This one you write down. We don't make God less than he is. Don't minimize your creator. Recognize that spiritually, you are inadequate. Without Jesus on the cross, we have nothing. You have nothing. Without Jesus' resurrection, you are powerless to your sin. Without the Holy Spirit, you cannot follow Jesus because you cannot hear his voice. But because of Jesus, you have all that you need. I want you to think about what it would be like to stand before a holy God and a pure God, because one day we all will. A God who can see right through you, who knows your excuses and your lies, and you stand before him empty. I have nothing good in me, Father, but you in me. You see, when we encounter the King, we see the truth about ourselves. 
and we finally realize the gift that the King is in our life. The attitude of our lives as citizens of the kingdom is to be empty, recognizing our need of God, spiritually poor. You might be there today. Maybe you don't have a relationship with God because you never felt like you were good enough to have that. And the truth is, is that you're not, but none of us are. We're not good enough to have a relationship. You don't need to be good enough. You need to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is good enough. He's the one who died for your sin. He paid the price. He's the one that rose from the dead, that overcame the power of sin in your life. He's the one that gave you the Holy Spirit to live in your life so that you would be enabled to function and follow Christ. See, it's not about you. It's everything that Jesus did. And, and as citizens, we acknowledge and we recognize the fact that we have nothing. We are just grateful that everything has been given to us. And maybe that's you. I want to encourage you to accept the gift today of what Jesus has done. And, and that happens by talking to God, by thanking him yourself for the gift, by telling him that you want to be a citizen of his kingdom, by asking for forgiveness. And from turning from your self-centered life a God-centered life. So let's do that. Father, we come to you. You see our hearts and you know our hearts intimately. You know that there's nothing good in us but you. And some of us don't have you yet. And Father, I ask that you would help those that recognize their need of you right now. That they recognize that all they have is excuses and all they have is pride. And it's become a house of cards that quickly collapses. Father, I ask that you would help them today as they surrender their lives and as they ask you to be the center of their lives, as they put their faith in Jesus and what he's done for them on the cross, that he rose from the dead, that he has provided for them the Holy Spirit. Father, they would put you at the center of their life to turn from the selfishness and to embrace you wholeheartedly. Father, help us all, I pray, as citizens of your kingdom, Father, I ask that we would be spiritually poor. We would acknowledge our need of you, that we would constantly acknowledge the gift that you are to us, not that we are to you. Father, may we live in humility as we express our gratitude for you residing within us. Father, we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, it's something that we all need, and we need to continually acknowledge it. It's real easy to get distracted. It's real easy to get distracted with life and to even allow attitudes in life. Attitudes that don't reflect the kingdom, I want to encourage you like I'm telling myself as well. Maybe when you're watching the news, it's really tempting and, and easy to fall into an attitude that doesn't reflect the kingdom of God because we see people that are self-justified. We don't want to be self-justified even of ourselves. We don't want to have attitude towards others. We want to recognize, you know what? I don't want to be prideful. I don't want to see myself as better than others. And I don't want to sit there and judge others. I, I want to recognize that the good in me is because of God in me. And I have nothing to give God but myself for him to do his work within me. I need God's grace. I just want to encourage you because it's something that we all need. As we go through these attitudes, it's something that we desperately need to remember. I just want to say thank you guys so much for being with us today. Again, for making us a part of your day. Hope that you guys have a blessed rest of your week. Hope that you recognize that 
the good in you is God in you. Celebrate that. Don't allow pride to well up. Have a great rest of your week. God's best to you. Bye-bye.